0: The Bible is a holy book, but it's not always a happy book. It's one of the saddest chapters in the Bible. We see a new failure of Jacob. And Jacob, in this this passage, there's a a very violent and awful thing that happens in the first few verses. And that's why I said it's a sensitive subject. I will take as much care as I possibly can muster. But if you know me well, that's maybe not enough sometimes. But I'm going to do my best. But... We get caught in that first thing that happened, and we make that the point of the chapter, and it's really not. It is. It's a big part, but, that, but what we see, the reason it could happen is a failure in Jacob. Jacob goes into passivity after uh, he leaves his father-in-law, and he's traveling, and God gives him a bunch of victory. He, he makes up with his brother, and then all of a sudden, he goes soft. He goes passive, and so we're going to talk about problems with passivity today and I want you to understand what passivity is before we jump into the scripture uh, because psychologists talk about that, they, they, they call it passive aggressive and um, passivity means you see a situation and refuse to do something about it, that is passivity. And we see it played out in people's lives. They won't say what they think. They won't, they won't express their needs. But then they'll get mad when their needs aren't met. Or their opinion's not heard. But they wouldn't say it because they were being passive. Or they wouldn't act on what they need to act on because they were being passive. And it always creates problems. And many times in the church, the passive person, we think, we think they're real godly. We think they look like Jesus because they act so gently sometimes. Now underneath, they're angry and boiling and they, they're going to get in trouble because they, can't, they don't know how to express that in a healthy way. But they're really passive. And Jesus was so passive, he made a whip and ran the money changers out of the temple. I was not, nothing passive about that. But he wasn't, he wasn't aggressive. He was being assertive. But they wouldn't listen to his assertiveness, so he had to get their attention. And he helped them leave the temple. He said, this is my dad's house, and you're not going to violate its house of prayer, and I'm not going to let you violate that in in my father's house so passivity just takes the 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 thing of disengaging from reality and disengaging from your life Uh, and in fact I carried with me into the pulpit today an instrument of passivity right we, we can do that in many ways and, and when we aren't engaged with our, with our spouse, with our children with our family, with our church with society in general it can create a lot of problems and that's what happens in Genesis 33 so without describing that a lot further um, there's a lot written out there and, and if that's a problem and listen, men mainly men struggle from this women do as well but, but we are the ones the original time this happened is in the garden when, when Satan is, is deceiving Eve, the Bible says Adam was there with her. He, lets her. he lets the enemy take her and deceive her and then participates with her when he knew better. He didn't step up and go, uh-uh, that's not what God said. He didn't say, don't eat that. That's not what we're supposed to do. God tells us not to do it. He lets it happen and he participates. And sin fell on man and passed down to all men after that. So all of us are born into sin. Because of the passivity of Adam in Genesis. And then we see it all through the Bible. We see Abraham did it. Isaac did it. Jacob is going to do it now. And it creates a lot of problems. So here's what I want you to take home with you today. It's very simple. Doesn't sound real biblical. But the passivity of man creates problems. You need to remember that. You will not solve something by being passive about it. You only solve it by doing something about it so I want us to look at Jacob and listen to the first few verses I'm just going to read this and listen to it now Dinah the daughter of Leah whom she had born to Jacob went out to see the women of the land and when Shechem the son of Hamor the Hivite or Hivite The prince of the land saw her. He seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, "Get me this girl for my wife." Now I told you Jacob was passive. I want to show you from Scripture that first he, Jacob, is passive because he breaks his promise. We have to go back to the chapter before to see this. In in the end of chapter 33, um, Jacob is leaving Esau. Esau said, hey, come with me. He said, no, 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 I'll catch up later. But in verse uh, 16, uh, so Esau returned that, uh, that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth or Sukkoth and built himself a house. And made booze for his livestock. Therefore the name of the place is called Sukkoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem. Which is in the land of Canaan. On his way from Aram, And he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor. Shechem's father. He bought for a hundred pieces of money. The piece of land on which he pitched his tent. There he erected an altar. And called it El Elohi Israel. Don't see anything wrong in that passage until you realize back in Genesis 28, he promised God when God prospered him and took care of him, he would return to Bethel or Bethel and build an altar there. You just read he bought land and built a house and he bought it from the guy who violates his daughter later. Now, we have a problem when we read scripture and that is we don't always have time signatures. We don't know the passage of time and things that we read that look like today this happened, the next day that may be separated by time and this is one of those instances. Because if I were just telling you, well Jacob went passive, you go, well he just left and just got there, what's the big deal? This is 10 years later by those who can study and figure out. They think it's about 10 years later looking at indicators on both ends of this. So for 10 years Jacob has lived in the land of Canaan which In 300 years when the Israelites come back, God's going to command them to kill everybody there because of the pagan worship that that they worshiped through things that I could not say from this platform without somebody getting super upset. It was so wicked, so sick, so awful. And Jacob dwells there. And he doesn't go where he promised God he would go. He breaks his promise. He enters passivity. He knows what he's supposed to do. And he just doesn't do it. It's very frustrating. And it, it's going to create a lot of problems. We'll see some of those problems. And in 34.1, notice what it says. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. Well, we know she had 11 brothers, right? Right? Soon to be 12, if not already. So she's got a lot of brothers. Where's her mom? There's Leah. She wants to go visit the women of the land, see what's going on. She wants to figure out, what are these people all about? You say, well, how does that affect, how does Jacob get into that? See, not only did Jacob break his promises, but he was passive in regard to his family. He failed his family. A, a woman of marriageable age that was not married would never leave the camp without an escort, especially in Canaan, where temple prostitution is part of their worship, of their pagan gods, of killing their children was part of their pagan worship. Killing their children is part of pagan worship. It's the ordinance of the church of Satan to kill babies. That's their communion. And Jacob lets her go out by herself. Where's dad? He either didn't know, which shows he's not paying attention, or he didn't care, which is even worse. I don't think one could be worse than another. Jacob failed his wives. Notice This is the daughter of Leah. What do we know about Leah? Jacob ignored her most of her life. He he just put up with her. God kept blessing her to have babies, but he ignores her. He loves Rachel. He makes it evident. He played favorites. Abraham played favorites. Isaac played favorites. Now Jacob is playing favorites. He's being passive, and he is failing his wife. He's not meeting Leah's needs. He fails his daughter Dinah. I've already told you one way. He lets you go off by herself. But notice the language in these first few verses. And then it goes on. Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob. He says it over and over and over and over. In verse 1. In verse 3. He uh, says it again. And uh, his soul, soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. In verse 5. Jacob heard that... He had defiled his daughter Dinah. And in verse 7 again, um, uh, sorry, the sons of Jacob had come in from the field, and as soon as they heard of it, the men were indignant, very angry, because they had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. God wants you to see that Jacob is ignoring his daughter and not taking care of her like he should. And by the way, he's also ignoring his sons. In verse 5, they are out, his sons were with the livestock in the field. In, 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 in verse 7, when they heard what happened, they come back in. But Jacob didn't send for them. They just, I don't know how they heard it, but they heard it somehow. And in verse 13, which we'll see later, they're the ones that negotiate with Hamer and Shechem, even though Hamer and Shechem came to talk to Jacob. Jacob just backs out and doesn't do anything in this chapter except mess up and then blame everybody else for his failure it's a passive act of a man who was on a good path and going the right way and here after 10 years of sitting there he went quiet and so I want you to see Jacob's ongoing failure in the verses that follow this we pick it back up in 5 I want you to see how passive Jacob is Jacob heard that he, that he, being Shechem, had defiled his daughter Dinah. Let me, let me just help you with the word defiled. Uh, I, I, I tried to study on that word because, again, so many of us stop at that point. But the point is Jacob's failure, not... What happened to Dinah was horrible. should not have happened. It's grossly immoral, and Shechem needs to be punished for that. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But that word in Hebrew means any immoral act, or not immoral act, any physical act between a man and a woman outside of marriage. The context tell you, tells you how to translate it. And so, it could be from a, a very aggressive assault to consensual outside of marriage relationship. Okay? I told you, I'll try to say this as safely as I can. They come and tell Jacob... Jacob gets wind. Shechem had defiled his daughter. But his sons were in the livestock in the field so Jacob held his peace till they got home. Well I'll wait till the boys get home. Brother if that happens in my life I ain't waiting on nobody else. I ain't gonna need nobody else. I'm on my way. Now Jacob well I'll wait wait till the boys get home. How passive because check verse 7. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it. They're not being passive. As soon as they heard their sister had been assaulted, here they come on the run. And they get there and they find out their dad knew and didn't send word to them. Doesn't do anything. And the men are indignant and angry because what uh, he had done was an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing must not be done. Now I want you to understand where Shechem is coming from. Now they're living in Shechem and this guy's name is Shechem. So you figure that out. He's a prince of the place. So either the city's named after him or he's named after the city. His dad is Hamor. And, and by the way we see Isaac separate from his son sons. But Hamor and Shechem are together in everything. Dad, get me this woman. They come together to talk to Jacob. And Hamer speaks first and then Shechem speaks. They are together in everything. And and the author here is contrasting how Jacob is separated from his family and how close these pagan people are when Jacob should have been that close or closer with his own family. And so he allows for this evil to happen. The boys come in and they're upset. But now catch verse 8. But Hamer spoke with them saying, The soul of my son, Shechem, longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Now if it's your daughter, they are talking to her father. Thank you. I had to say that three times. First service for everybody to say father. Yeah. So they're addressing Jacob. We know they're addressing Jacob. But the boys are staying there because they've come in. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us. Take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us, and the land will be open to you. Dwell and trade in it. Get prosperity in it. And Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for as great a bride price and gift as you will. Now, that was a mistake on his part. And I will give whatever you say to me, only give me the young woman to be my wife. Now, it all sounds so nice, but I want you to catch what's happening. There's no apology. They have have done something. If it wasn't even illegal then, they knew it was bad because he said, this should not have been done. Everyone knew that. Think about Shechem. David did the same thing with Bathsheba. Sort of a kind of a, unspoken right of a prince to do something along these lines but they come in without apology they come in and here's what they're saying to Jacob we'll make you rich and we'll trade uh, goods and you can have our daughters and we'll take your daughters and Jacob in his passivity has ceased trusting in God and I don't know if he's considering this or not later on it looks like maybe he was saying well that'll work out And he's begun to trust getting along with the enemies of God I mean his passivity almost knows no bounds Well the the boys kick in and uh, and, in verse 13 And again we see this failure of Jacob Because the sons of Jacob answer Shechem and Hamor Jacob never says a word to them And here's what they said they, and notice in verse 13 it says they spoke deceitfully with him now they learned deceit from their dad and again these guys aren't doing it right either they're going to fool them but they said to him we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who's uncircumcised now you know and I know circumcision doesn't make you Jewish nor holy but it was a sign that you had agreed that God is God and this was his law right you, you became a Jew and so they circumcised their little boys before they could make that decision. But somebody coming into religion, that had to happen to them. And, but the boys make it like it's the only deal here. They don't even address, well, yeah, but you raped her, so, you know. But he says, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you and we'll take your daughters to ourselves and we'll dwell with you and become one people. But if you won't listen to us and be circumcised, we'll take our daughter and we'll be gone. So they say, okay, we're out of here if you won't do this. Now, I'm not going to read everything that happens after this, but Shechem goes back and talks to the elders of the city and they agree to it. Let me say that again. They agree to it. How did he pull that off? Because if I was that, I'd be going, maybe you, but not me, right? <laughs> Ain't happening. It, let me just say, when you're a full grown man, it hurts worse. And you're going to be hurting for a while. That was these boys' strategy. That's what they're doing. If you don't know this story, the, all the men agree, they all do it at the same time. And we can pick up the story in verse 25. Uh, On the third day when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi. Let me tell you why that's important. Simeon and Levi are sons of Leah. These are full brothers to Dinah. So they're really ticked. And they've seen how Jacob treated their mom. And now their sister. And they have had enough. If Jacob had been involved, none of this would have happened. So they took their swords and came against the city, and while it felt secure, and they killed all the men. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword, and took Dinah out of Shechem's house. She was being held prisoner up in there, and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city. So the other boys, after the two went in and killed everybody, they came in, they plundered the city. They took all their goods, their flocks, their herds, their donkeys, whatever was in the city and in the field. They took their wealth, they took their children, they took their wives, and all that was in their houses. They captured, and they plundered. So they take everything. So they did this deceitfully. You say, well, they were getting a, a you know vengeance for their sister. Isn't that God's job? See, last week we talked about forgiveness with Jacob and Esau. and Forgiveness means not getting the revenge that is rightfully mine. When you have been wrong, forgiveness means I'm going to let God handle it. I'm not going to handle it. If it's something illegal, it's it's not unforgiveness to let them be prosecuted by the law or to press charges. That's called justice. Forgiveness is, but I don't have to get personal revenge. I'm just going to let God handle it. And that's what we see here. The lack of that... But I want you to get Jacob's perspective on this. Look at the last paragraph beginning in verse 30. Then Jacob says to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me. It's your fault and it's all about me. Your daughter has been assaulted. Your sons have done all this. And all you can think about is yourself? Oh, that's not the end of it. By making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. He cares more about a pagan community than does about his own daughter. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? What's your problem, dad? If you'd have done your job, this wouldn't have happened. If you'd have taken care of business, but you didn't. So don't come yelling at us. A passive person will always blame somebody else. And Jacob, at the end of this, he blames everybody but himself. And he didn't do anything on the forefront to stop it. Let me just help you more or less secularly a little bit with this. And that is... If you are having a problem with passivity, you need to recognize that. And then you need to understand why that should be changed. You would think that doing nothing wouldn't harm anybody, but it harms everybody. Because God expects men to be initiators, women to be responders, by and large. That's not 100%, but it's by and large. And so, if you realize you're that way, you need to deal with that. Because the nature of passivity is you don't want to deal with an issue. You don't want to deal with a problem. You want to avoid confrontation at all costs. That's why it was so horrifying to Jacob. They not only dealt with it, they dealt with it in an aggressive way, not an assertive way. They went in and killed everybody. And and Jacob knows, well, that wasn't so good either. But he's only looking at himself. And so you need to be filled with the Spirit for God to do something about this. One of the godliest men I ever met spoke about passivity once, and especially in regard to his marriage. And he said this, that he prayed every day that God would deliver him from numbness concerning his wife. I mean, this, was, this guy was most, one of the most assertive, godliest men I knew. And he said every day, he said, guys, we just don't get it. We're numb. And I asked God to deliver me from numbness. So I will know my wife, take care of my wife. So I want to give you three things from Scripture this week. One is keep your promises. Keep your promises. In Psalm 15 and verse 4, it says that the man who will ascend the holy hill swears to his own hurt but doesn't change. In other words, he makes a promise and he doesn't back off of it. In Ecclesiastes 5 in verses 1 through 6, The preacher of Ecclesiastes says, it's better not to vow a vow to God than to vow it and not keep it. In other words, be careful. He says, guard your mouth. Don't speak hastily, especially in the house of God. Make sure you can do what you say you're going to do. <clears throat> so, keep your promises. Secondly, fulfill your responsibilities. In Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22 and all the way through chapter 6 and verse 4. So, Ephesians 5 through chapter 6, verse 4 22, uh, 522 through 64, he gives responsibilities of a husband, of a wife, of children, and how they interrelate. And sometimes people want to pick one person, one, one group out of that and, and, and nail them. But there, there, in that passage, all of us see our godly responsibilities in our family. And so, I would encourage you to read that and begin to ask God to help you fill your, fulfill your responsibilities. And that leads me to number three. Seek God to correct wrongs. Don't act in the flesh. Galatians 5.16, which I want to turn to and read. In, in Galatians and in chapter 5, there's a lot of good things in Galatians 5. But in Galatians 5, he talks about, he gives a list of sins. He calls them the deeds of the flesh. And we could, we could lump those together in different categories. But just suffice it to say that there's this whole list. But in verse 16 of Galatians 5, he says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, we've talked about a lot of failures today. Failures by Shechem, failures by Jacob, failures by the boys. But the Bible tells us and gives us this, that we now have the Holy Spirit. And in Galatians 5, if we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. It's In Colossians 3, he says that since we're risen with Christ, set your affection on things above. Not on things of the earth. Philippians, if there's good things and noble things and great things. Think on those things if there's praise and beauty in that. Put your mind there. And let me help you with walking in the Spirit. There are those who would believe that, that the baptism of the Spirit is an act that happens after salvation. Now, you can say this is just wordplay. But the Bible does use two different words. There's the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. Those are two separate things. They're different. Uh, it's the same Holy Spirit, but it's different. If you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are not saved. According to Romans 8 verse 11. If we're going to argue, we're going to argue with Scripture, not with my opinion. Romans 8 11 says that if you do not have the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, you don't know Him. You're not saved. And so the baptism of the Spirit happens, that is salvation. When we acknowledge that Christ is who He said He was, He's the Son of God, and for what He did, and we open our lives to Him, that is He baptizes us in the Spirit. Now remember what the word baptize means. It means to immerse. It means to put underneath. And so the Spirit is above us. He's around us. He's in us. He completely engulfs us. But to be filled with the Spirit... Does not mean we get more of the Spirit. Because you got all of God at salvation. Are you with me? Being filled with the Spirit means the Spirit gets more of you. Let me illustrate two ways. One way is an old illustration. But I'm going to use it. About a hundred and plus years ago. There was a preacher named D.L. Moody. He was preaching in Chicago. God used him to lead two million people to the Lord. A million in America and a million in Europe. And so these men got together in a particular city and they wanted to have a city wide revival crusade type thing and so they were discussing who should we invite and somebody suggested let's see if D.L. Moody will come and one of the pastors who was jealous and not walking in the spirit because he's jealous of D.L. Moody and what God had used him to do said well does D.L. Moody have more of the spirit than any of us and it was quiet for a minute. And then one of the other preachers said, no. But I would suggest that the Holy Spirit has more of D.L. Moody than he has of any of us. You see, that's what being filled with the Spirit means. Before I come in here and somebody got my water today. I don't know who did that. Thank you so much. I forgot last week. So I appreciate somebody doing that for me. But I don't go get a full glass. I go find an empty glass and put water in it. Right? I make coffee every day. (laughs) Big shock, right? And sometimes there's a little bit left in the pot from the day before. And I'll get busy making the coffee. And I don't pour that out and rinse out the the pot. And you would think I would only do what I'm about to say once. But no, it happens more than that. And so I'll set everything up. And the next morning, because it's got a timer on it. And I come in there and there's coffee all over the counter. Because I didn't empty the pot. You see, you've got to empty yourself of self for the Holy Spirit to fill you. And all that you maintain of yourself inside, He he can't fill. He won't fill. He wants us to voluntarily submit ourselves in absolute surrender to Him. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, You present your body as a living sacrifice. Brother, listen, you can't get on an altar and die without being emptied of self. That'll empty you. By the way, this is your reasonable service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can prove what the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is. And so, we need to seek God to correct our wrongs and to correct wrongs against us. Trust Him. And don't act in our flesh. But walk in the spirit. That is the cure to our passivity. To ask God to help us. To deliver us. Because he's forming the image of Christ in us. If anybody was ever just plainly following the will of God. It was Jesus. He didn't get angry about it. He didn't get upset about it. He just did it. And he did it all the way to the cross. And through the cross. And when he paid the price of our sin. He paid it to God. Because God demanded justice and justice was fulfilled in christ on the cross he paid the just payment for your sins and mine so we go free and so when we find ourselves dipping into sinning just because we are not doing anything man we need some deliverance don't we and we need to walk in the spirit so i want you to pray with me right now that god would help us all women can be passive too Uh, It's not just a man disease, but we got it worse, I think. But let's all pray that God would help us to look like Christ.